Welcome. Welcome to Total Retail Talks, your podcast channel for retail knowledge. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Total Retail Talks. I'm Joe Keenan, the Editor-in-Chief of Total Retail, and I'm pleased to be joined on this episode by Jeffrey Fowler, who is the CEO of Pudding Key. We're going to talk to Jeff a little bit about that brand, uh, kind of the growth strategy for it going forward. Uh, Jeff is an expert in the uh, watch category, so we're going to kind of get his insights a little bit about the business as well as the industry as a whole. So I want to thank uh, Jeff for joining us today. Thanks, Joe. It's a pleasure to be here. Really happy to be with you this morning. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the conversation. So uh, I know that you're the CEO of Hood and Key. Uh, I want to get us started by having you tell our audience a little bit about Hood and Key for those that might not yet be familiar with the uh, company. Sure. Yeah. So Hodinki is a business that is celebrating its 15th year uh, this year. The business was founded in 2008 by a gentleman called Ben Clymer. Ben at the time was working in the finance industry as a, a kind of a, a junior uh, junior analyst in the wealth management division of UBS at the time of the last kind of real financial crisis that the mortgage bubble uh, if you remember when Lehman Brothers and Bear Stearns and all those banks got into trouble, and uh, obviously folks in the finance industry were affected by that, and Ben was not uh, was was not isolated from the challenges. So uh, you know, considering his options, he was offered a bit of severance from UBS, and rather than going and finding another job in in finance, he actually decided to go after uh, what was sort of a lifelong ambition and dream to become a journalist. And uh, thinking about what subjects he might cover, Ben decided to start blogging on uh, a Tumblr site, you know, back in 2008, he just started a blog on Tumblr about a watch that he'd been given by his grandfather, which was an Omega Speedmaster, kind of in the classic, you know, family tradition of grandfather passing something down to the grandson, his grandfather, who was this larger than life character, and, and really, you know, a, a big role model to Ben gave him this watch. And, you know, some years later, Ben decided to start blogging about the watch. And from there, continuing to follow his passion, started writing about other watches. And, you know, really from the from the standpoint of an enthusiast, someone who was curious to learn more about the category. And soon enough, people started to take note of the blog. And, you know, Ben was really developing something of a community with his writing. And eventually that community became sizable enough that it drew the attraction of watch brands. And Ben began to attract, you know, advertising dollars from uh, from watch brands like Patek Philippe, Audemars Piguet, and others you know, in the early days, and that was enough to kind of fund the, the operation and keep it going. Uh, ben decided to really kind of commit himself to the craft and, and applied for a master's degree in journalism at Columbia Columbia Journalism School. He went to Columbia, he graduated two years later, and in the meantime, he began to write uh, on a freelance basis for, you know, outlets such as the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Financial Times, Forbes, uh, you know, a number of different outlets. He was kind of the go-to guy for you know, men's fashion and lifestyle, as well as, as as watches, of course, which was his area of expertise. And by the time he graduated from Columbia, and this is still in the early 2010s, uh, Ben had himself been profiled by the New York Times and, and, and referred to as the high priest of urology, with a big spread in the New York Times, a photo uh, talking about his pursuit of knowledge, and again, his enthusiasm and this community that he was building online all around the subject of watches. And at that point, Hodinkee was really still nothing more than a blog for the category. Um, so, you know, he continued on that path and, and eventually, again, continued to attract interest and notice uh, was offered to sell the company to one of the large media groups uh, in, in New York. 
again, they thought it could make a nice addition to their to their conglomerate of media titles. And rather than doing that, Ben decided to actually raise a bit of money and continue to fund the growth of the business. Um, you know, he took the advice of a mentor and, and decided to go out and raise a bit of money and eventually, you know, got into actually selling watches. And that was a big inflection point for Hodinkee. You know, it had built up this great community of people. And, and the number one request from those people for Ben was, you know, we would like for you to sell products. You know, we, we love reading your content. We love coming to your site. It's our, it's our daily digest of news about the watch industry. Um, you know, the, the number one request from the community was to start selling things. So around the 2014-2015 era, Ben and the team sort of began to sell uh, limited edition watches, watches that were done in collaboration with watch brands in the industry. And the business just kind of jumped to a new scale and continued to grow from there. In 2017, Hodinkee became the first worldwide online-only authorized retailer of watches, launching with eight brands as an authorized retailer, meaning it had the, the, the agreement of the brands to sell their watches online. And this was a pretty big watershed moment for the watch industry, which has been kind of relatively slow to embrace you know, e-commerce and sort of new technologies and things um, and while the rest of the world had already been there for years. Uh, so Hoodie was really the first. And now, you know, five years later, we, we we're authorized to retail about 40 of the top watch brands in the world, watch brands like Omega, Tag Heuer, Bulgari, uh, Hermes, Apple, et cetera. And uh, in 2020, the business raised some more money. 2021, we went out and acquired another business. So you can kind of see over the last 15 years, this very steady, organic, growth of the business with a bit of funding taken on board to help propel the business to where we are today. And today, you know, we're a $100 million plus business uh, operating, you know, still the, the the most authoritative and trusted voice in the industry for content, the most engaging and, and informative content in the industry. But complementing that with the sale of pre-owned watches, new watches, limited edition watches, uh, some watch related categories and, uh, even Joe, we're the largest watch insurer. Uh, we have a partnership with Chubb where we actually offer to insure people's watch collections. And we have close to half a billion dollars of watches under insurance in less than two years. So you know, really have become this destination for all things watches online and all of that in a, in a span of just about 15 years. So that, that that's really a great overview. And I think uh, it provides some great context for the audience, Jeff. So I appreciate that. And, it, and we're going to get back to that kind of blending of content and commerce and why it's so important to your community. Um, but I want to talk about you specifically for a second and tell us a little bit. So uh, I mentioned you're the CEO um, and you joined Hoodinkee uh, about a year and a half ago. So tell us a little bit about your personal background and what attracted you to the brand. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to. So, I mean, I guess kind of taking a bit of a parallel path to Hoodinkee, if I go back in my own history to about that time, I was just having graduated with my MBA from uh, a business school in France called INSEAD, where I studied for a year to get my MBA, um, kind of eventually embarked on my career in the luxury goods sector with, with Louis Vuitton, starting off in London, uh, was part of the, the Louis Vuitton brand for about four years, moved from London to Virginia here in the United States, and eventually up to New York in a corporate role. Uh, and from Louis Vuitton, I actually moved within the LVMH group of companies to uh, Tag Heuer, one of the watch brands within the group, which is headquartered in Switzerland. Uh, I led the retail operations for, for Tag Heuer across North America, so was responsible for all of the kind of full price and off price store outlets in North America for the brand. And eventually from Tag Heuer, moved over to Cartier, 
which obviously, you know, Cartier, the, the jeweler to the kings and the king of jewelers, it's, it's an incredible brand that carries, of course, jewelry, accessories, other categories, but, but also watches. So between both Tag Heuer and Cartier, I was really steeped in the watch industry for a few years, regularly traveling to, you know, to, to, to Switzerland to visit the factories, uh, responsible for the sales teams and the kind of uh, retail operations for both brands across North America. And it was actually at that time, Joe, that back in 2012, 13, 14 era, that I was really first aware of Hodinkee. Hodinkee at that point was a four or five-year-old uh, content brand, but it was already kind of had this outsized reputation within the industry for being really influential to watch collectors, consumers, and enthusiasts. Uh, and I actually had never met Ben, but I was aware of Ben. And, and he, you kind of couldn't not be aware of Ben. He, he had already established a big kind of name for himself in the industry as someone to know and someone whose whose opinion really mattered in the watch space. Uh, from Cartier, I actually uh, pivoted briefly to Tesla. And from Tesla, I eventually landed at Farfetch. And I was at Farfetch for almost six years during the time that it was a private business through its IPO and eventually on to three plus years as a public company uh, trading on the New York Stock Exchange. At Farfetch, I was the president for the Americas region. So I was overseeing all of the businesses across North and South America uh, and really enjoyed the opportunity to be a part of a brand that was growing exponentially uh, in the kind of digital luxury space uh, as a marketplace. And, and honestly, loved the opportunity, loved the business, loved the team. Uh, couldn't have been you know, a bigger fan and more, more happy at the opportunity. Um, but my wife and I had three children in a brief space of time in three years. And at the occasion of the third one being born, I took a bit of time off, was contacted by a recruiter about the opportunity with Hodinkee. Uh, finally got a chance to meet Ben Clymer, the founder, and he and I just kind of instantly connected and instantly hit it off. And during the time that I was on my paternity leave, I just kind of immersed myself in learning about Hodinkee and learning about the, the way that it had helped really uh, pioneer and trailblaze in the watch industry. So many new initiatives and so many innovations. And I was really impressed with how in a short space of time, they had grown from this relatively small blog, you know, into this really massive, loyal, engaged community certain aspects of the brand, they were doing things that I had never seen brands do before in, in the e-commerce sort of digital space for, for luxury. Uh, the engagement was off the charts, for example, just the degree to which the audience was so engaged with the content. And I was fascinated by that and thought that I could lend my talents and experience to, to helping to grow and scale the brand over the next 15 years. So I, I, I took the plunge, I took the challenge in March of 2022, and it's been a little over a year now, and I'm, I'm, having, I'm having a great time with the business. Yeah, so that um, actually is a perfect segue into my next question for you, Jeff. So you talked about kind of that timeline, and the business has really scaled, to your point, um, very quickly. Um, so I guess I have a, a multi-part question for you. One, what would you attribute kind of that growth that, that happened so quickly? Was there a void in the market? and Or you know, talk about why you think it has grown so quickly. And then as you think about continuing to not only maintain that growth, but to build upon it, where are the opportunities that you're focused on? So kind of a two-part question for you there, Jeff. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, Joe. I, I would have to start with uh, content as being a primary driver of that explosive growth over the, the course of the last 15 years. Again, you know, this is an industry that is pretty traditional, um, somewhat slow to evolve, um, you know, but, you know, and again, somewhat set in its ways. So when Ben came upon the scene back in 2008 and nine and 10, you know, once he was able to get himself, you know, known within the watch industry and invited to trade shows like Basel World in Basel, Switzerland, or eventually 
a trade show in Geneva called SIHH, uh, which was kind of a trade show started by uh, the Richemont brands like Cartier, Van Cleef and Arpels, et cetera. You know, Ben would arrive with his, uh, you know, Leica camera around his neck and uh, had an intent to take photos of the watches in the booths and publish them, you know, later that day with some content about his thoughts about the watch. And just that alone was really kind of a mini revolution within the industry, Joe. At the time, you know, the watch industry was creating their glossy press packets about the watches and then, you know, working through a network of print magazines, some of which would publish monthly, but most of which published quarterly. So kind of the, the time between when the watches would release and the news and the information reaching the consumer was pretty pretty slow and pretty much like kind of rooted in the 20th century ways of doing things. And Ben coming and and, and with the intent again to kind of publish almost instantaneously what was a really watershed moment, as crazy as that sounds in 2008. Uh, and, and again, his writing style was very different. It was very approachable. It was witty and charming and 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 curious. It wasn't stuffy. It wasn't like it didn't sound like it was you know coming from the the brand's corporate PR team. It was really uh, honest and truthful, and uh, that just resonated with an audience. And again, that audience growth was incredibly organic. One of the one of those statistics that I that I mentioned that really made my eyes bulge out of my head when I learned about it was. That for the first 14 years of its existence, Hodinkee didn't spend a single dollar on marketing. So you think about the growth of most businesses, you know, it's like, what was your marketing budget? What was your marketing strategy? Hodinkee's marketing budget was zero for 14 yeah. years. It was really organic. It was really developed through content and developing that content into a highly, highly engaged community of people that you know, really read the site every day, come out to events you know, meet up uh, at bars if, if, if Hodinkee would host an event to just bring their watch roll and share it with fellow watch enthusiasts and things like that. So, you know, and then I, I think you have to also kind of consider that the talent of the team. Ben is a, an incredibly talented, gifted journalist and writer. He's a wonderful, engaging uh, podcast host. So, you know, he's in, you'd be in good company with Ben. Uh, he started a podcast very organically, again, back in 2013-ish. Um, by uh, a random happenstance opportunity, Ben was sent an email, just a cold email that arrived in, in his inbox by the singer-songwriter John Mayer. And John reached out to Ben and said, you know, I'm John, I'm, I'm a singer, uh, I, I love watches, I love what you're doing, I'm going to be in New York City and it would be great if we could meet and talk about watches. And at first Ben thought it was a little bit of a hoax, he's like, is this real? <laughs> He wrote back to John, and in fact, it wasn't. And they they did, in fact, meet up at a bar in Soho. It was Ben and John and a backpack full of watches and one other guy, the first employee of Hodinkee, who's still with us, who showed up with his video camera, Will Holloway. And Will filmed the whole thing, and they edited it and put it online, and it's now on YouTube. It's called Talking Watches with John Mayer. It has probably 5 million views on YouTube. It's considered by most people in the industry to be one of the most influential pieces of content, you know, ever really in the industry. So many people reference that and say, it was that video that started my love of the category. I go back to that video to, you know, learn about reference points of the, you know, this watch or that watch. Um, you know, we've done a second video with John who actually is an investor in Hodinkee. He's, he was so enamored of the business Ben was building that he personally invested in the business. He writes for the website, he writes content, he films videos for us. It's a it's a true it's a true passion of John's and, and again we're we're fortunate to count him as a as an investor and friend. 
Um, so, you know, Ben's talent, you know, someone like John getting involved certainly brought some attention. Ben hired a wonderful team of writers and content creators over the years. We've had some fairly legendary, you know, journalists from the watch industry coming through Hodinkee and uh, still with us today, a great crop of editors. And we're very fortunate for that. And then, you know, making good decisions along the way, the the timing to be able to start selling watches, working with up and coming watch brands to make limited edition pieces, being the first to sell watches online at a time that a lot of people were beginning to kind of migrate online for their shopping consumption. So many of those decisions were kind of the right place in the right time, the right mix of preparation and talent and, and, and kind of skills and, and then the opportunity. So, uh, you know, I think it's kind of all of those things. And transitioning to the second part of your question, you know, where do we go from here? How do we continue to grow the brand? Because again, now we've very, very organically and, and, and you know, relatively quickly on a 15-year timeline built this $100 million business. It's more, it's really more of the recipe that's got us here. It's really leaning into our authoritative nature as a content creator, really, really trying to maximize the growth and the engagement levels with our community, really thinking about what are the things we can do from a commercial standpoint that are uniquely us, you know, like products that you can only find on Hodinkee or being the the, the brand that is beloved by the watch industry so that brands want to continue to work with us and grow their relationship with us. It's still very unique, Joe, to have, you know, 40 plus brands that we are authorized to retail on the internet. There aren't many, you know, brands or businesses that could say that. In addition, I, I touched very briefly on Hoodinky Insurance. That was the first of uh, a number of services that we have uh, in mind to bring to the market. Hoodinky Insurance is a wonderful service. If you have a nice watch collection, it gives you peace of mind to know that your watch is insured against loss or theft or damage. Uh, it's a very user-friendly product. It's mobile, mobile driven. You can log in and kind of sign up on your on your on your Hodinkee app. And then lastly, is you know, we're working on a number of initiatives that will help to power our growth in the future that we haven't started yet, that are that would be net new to the business. You know, things like really looking at how we can power the growth of the brand globally. We have a global following and a global readership. About 50% of our readers are outside of the United States. And we sell products outside the United States. About 20, 25% of our product sales are outside the United States. But largely that's when we have things that are truly unique to Hodinkee that can only be found on our site, like a limited edition watch. You know, for us to be able to better serve those clients, we should, we should, you know, make inroads on on a on a true international expansion plan. So that's kind of one of the goals for the future. Certainly, we're getting set to open our first physical retail presence. We don't have any physical retail presence yet, but that's a very important channel for the watch industry. Uh, it's where a lot of people, you know, still end up converting because they want to try the piece on. They want to see two pieces and compare them one to the other. So that'll be a, a location opening up in Soho soon. Uh, so, you know, we have a number of different initiatives that are that are still kind of under the hood and in the kitchen and, you know, hopefully coming out and being being ready to go soon. Yeah, some exciting things planned. And uh, I want to build upon um kind of the community uh, piece there, Jeff, for a second. Talk about, you know, as, you know, as kind of a niche category, uh, growing the community will help maintain that that growth scale that you've achieved at, at Hodinkee. Um, so tell us a little bit, I'm doing some research on the company. I know one of the, the, the goals for, for you and your team is, is expanding that community and making it more younger, more diverse. Mm -hmm. um, talk a little bit about that as you think about Kind of net new customers, bringing them into the fold, getting them to read the content, getting them to potentially purchase. Um, how do you go about 
finding and, and identifying that younger, more diverse audience and, and bringing them into the into the mix? Yeah, absolutely. Um, great question. You know, I think back to the earliest days of Hodinkee, really the content was um, all Ben. I mean, Ben was the one and only employee of the business for a long time. And then as he started to build the team, you know, I think people were sort of cut from the Ben Clymer cloth in the sense that they approached the the, the category from some, a similar vantage point, maybe even stylistically a bit similar. And I'd say that that was sort of, you know, chapter one of Hodinkee from a content standpoint. But as the team continued to grow, as Ben, you know, realized that the, the potential for the business was much bigger and, you know, wanted to kind of strengthen uh, strengthen the, the roster, as he started to bring more people on, he he came across folks who might have brought uh, an even greater level of expertise in a certain area of the watch industry, maybe on the technical side than Ben, or maybe he brought someone in that was approaching it more from a different content uh, channel. So maybe video centric uh, editors and things like that. So that helped to kind of increase the diversity. But really, I think over the last three, four years, that's, that's, that's become an even bigger focus for us. And it's kind of taken on so somewhat of an exponential focus and growth uh, with you know the addition of some some really new talents to the team. Uh, for example, I would mention an editor who's currently on the roster named Malika Crawford, who, who we we couldn't be bigger fans of. We we love the work that Malika creates and produces. She was uh, she came to Hodinki uh, from High Snobiety. She was a style editor at High Snobiety, and uh, we actually brought her over to Hodinki to be our first style editor. So rather than having her exclusively focused on, let's say, maybe the technical side of watches or the history and the patrimony of watches. Uh, Malaika really is looking at and exploring the intersection of fashion and style and watches. And you can imagine how that approach, just taking a slightly different vantage point on the category, might attract different types of readers. She's published, for example, a couple of articles where the thrust of the article is how to style this watch. And she's chosen maybe a Vacheron Constantin watch or you know, a Cartier watch or something and styled it with different looks and, 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 and thinking about how you can make it look dressier, less, less dressy, more casual, maybe a bit more modern. Um, and and that, just that approach alone, uh, interestingly, within our own community is uh, somewhat divisive, if I may. You know, have people that say, well, this is very different from what I've come to know about Hodinkee and I don't like it. And then you have people who say, I absolutely love this. This writing is tremendous. I love the approach you're taking. No one's doing this, quite honestly. And thank you for really kind of, you know, pushing the envelope on this. And to be quite honest, Joe, like we're fine with both of those opinions. You know, it's a, it's a community brand. People are entitled to their point of view. It's somewhat the town square. Not everybody has to agree and like what they what they see. Um, but what's interesting about Malika's work is it it really stimulates that conversation. It gets people talking it's um, and it's really, I think, as a brand, you've got to think about you know the the higher you can drive the engagement level, the better your your efforts in the future will be. So I you know I I, I raise that one example just to sort of give you an idea of how we're approaching it. But um, you know from that we've seen over the last few years through this demographics of our audience through surveys and things that the age has indeed got gotten younger. We've seen the age go down by a couple of years over the past few years. We've seen the percentage of women that come to the site and that are reading it and shopping with us increase. You know, it's it's still a relatively male-dominated category, but we've seen, you know, the, the number of women increase by, you know, a few percentage points every year. Um, you know, we've we've hired people from diverse backgrounds, you know, and, and again, I won't list them all out here, but we've asked them to kind of really approach it from their perspective, their experience and their angle. And I think, you know, the the evidence is pretty solid at this point that when you have more diverse teams, 
the re the result you get is better outcomes, better product, better decision making. Um, and ultimately, you know, we want to make sure that everybody can kind of see themselves showing up in this category through Hodinkee one way or another. And of course, we won't be everyone's cup of tea, but, you know, we're, we're, we're going to try and sort of reach as many people as we can and kind of increase the size of the tent and uh, help as many people as possible fall in love with this, this, this crazy category of watches. So actually, I think it's telling, Jeff, that as you cited uh, an example about becoming younger and more diverse, you talked about an editor at the organization, um, which which really speaks to the commitment that the uh, content has played in in your your growth as well as you know your future plans as well. So tell us a little bit about at Hodinkee, how you're using content uh, and integrating that with with commerce to improve the overall experience for your customers. Sure. Yeah. I mean, th there was a time, obviously, when Hodinkee was creating content, you know, uh, re regularly publishing to the site and without any sort of opportunity or, or or bridge to commerce. I mean, effectively, we would create the content, cover the cover the article, cover the watch, for example, write an article, do a video and put it out into the world. And then honestly, the uh, the beneficiaries of that, if you will, beyond the readers were uh, watch brands and retailers. I mean, there was there there was and remains something called the Hodinkee effect in the watch industry, where if we cover a watch and write about it, um, or if you know someone who appears on one of our videos or podcasts, you know, talks about a watch, that watch can actually experience a sales bump. You know, in the following days, we've heard that directly from boutique managers, from watch brands, from watch brand executives. Uh, there's even one watch, which is a, a, a gold Daytona, a Rolex Daytona with a green dial that John Mayer uh, refers to in the second of uh, the Talking Watches episodes that he appeared on, and he called it a sleeper. He's like, a lot of people are overlooking this new gold Rolex Daytona with a green dial, but it's such a sleeper. That Rolex Daytona today is referred to in the market as the John Mayer Daytona because of that, you know, and so, and now it sort of sells well above retail price. It's sort of a coveted collector's item simply because of the way that John referred to it in a Hodinkee video. So, you know, I think, um, you know, si since the time that, 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 that was since the beginning that we were kind of having this effect since the kind of mid 20 teens, especially in 2017, once we launched, you know, the authorized retail shop, Hodinkee shop. And then in 2021, once we got into the pre-owned space and we've had the opportunity to, retail the products that we're writing about, you know, there's this really virtuous cycle to one, listening to your customer. And, and if they're telling you, we would love for you to have items to sell, you know, fulfilling that, that desire, but then making it easy for them. So, you know, let's, let's use an example of a brand like Hamilton, which is a part of the Swatch Group, originally founded in, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, eventually acquired by the Swatch Group, now manufactured in Switzerland, but with this kind of American heritage you know, we love Hamilton. We think the watches are beautiful. Uh, they're they're really incredible value for the money. Uh, so we might write an article about a new Hamilton release, you know, and, and sort of talk about its technical merits, talk about the styling, the, the, the kind of inspiration behind the design, maybe where it sits within the lineage of Hamilton as a brand and other watch, you know, watches like it. Um, and then, you know, somewhere in the article, we'll mention that we're an authorized retailer of Hamilton. We'll put a link at the bottom. We'll be very transparent about that because, you know, th there's always with editorial and, and commercial, like a need to have a balance of church and state. So, you know, we don't necessarily tell our editors which brands to love and which ones to hate. We, we just sort of um, try to cover the things that, that we love and be honest in our opinions. 
But then if you click that link, you jump over to the commercial side and, and you're able to then see the watch with a view towards purchasing it. If you'd like to, you, you get all the technical specs, you get, you know, some content that sort of summarizes what it is that we love about that watch and why we featured it in our shop. Uh, and then it's the kind of modern conveniences of shopping online, Joe. It's, you know, the ability to to, to buy it. And if you don't love it, return it. Uh, it's the ability to pay over time through installment payments. It's beautiful photography. It's slick, you know, timely uh, delivery. It's customer service on the back end. If you need that, you know, it's all the services that come with it. And I think, you know, the, the, the content has been this incredible, incredible top of the funnel, if you will, to use some jargon, you know, marketing tool for us so that we're not having to rely on, you know, being the one who's at the top of, Google's, you know, SEO results. It's it's really more like we have this, uh, we have this brand and we have this clout as the most authoritative site online to go to for watch industry knowledge and information. And then we happen to sell a number of the brands that we cover and that we love. And that's been a really powerful tool for us. It's actually, in my experience, uh, beyond Hodinkee of working in this industry, one of the one of the brands that I would say is excelled most at this idea of content to commerce. Um, it's it's not easy to do, but if you've invested, let's say 10 to 15 years in content and you become known for it, I think it's definitely made a lot easier. Yeah. And, and, and you're right. It's not easy to do and you've done it so well at Hadinki. Um, and you've really established to your point, you know, the brand as the authority in the, in the space. And then you pair that with not only, um, you know, unique and, and, and in some cases, limited edition product that um, people are, are in demand for, um, but also that, that high-end experience too, that the, you know, you're giving them as they, as they shop on your site, potentially. Um, I wanted to get into a little bit, you know, since you've been in this category for so long and have, you know, really an expert um, in this, in the watch space, I want to get your take on what kind of, what are the, what's trending there? Where, where do you think, um, you know, the category is moving and how does uh, Hadinki position itself to kind of capitalize on those trends that you're seeing? Yeah, I think, you know, the, some of the trends I'm seeing, there's a number, I mean, I could probably list 10, but just some of the interesting ones, I would say, um, you know, let's say just the younger consumer trend. It, it's really interesting, Joe, because if you think about it, it was, you know, eight years ago that Apple came out with their watch, the smartwatch that was meant to be the kind of beginning of the end of the mechanical watch. And Quite the opposite has happened. I think you know, the Apple Watch, which actually Ben, our founder, was invited to be a consultant on the development of the Apple Watch. And he he worked with the team in Apple. He flew out to California. He advised them kind of from a, a watch lover's perspective, you know, what were some of the things they could do? And actually, as a as a byproduct of that, we're the we are the only online only authorized retailer of Apple Watch besides Apple, which is a kind of fun little fact yeah. um, about Hodinkee and our relationship with Apple Watch. Um, you know, but Instead of it being the kind of death sentence of the mechanical watch industry, actually quite the opposite has happened. The watch industry has grown year over year over year and just continues to put out record year after record year. Interestingly, by producing fewer watches, but better quality, uh, more more exclusive, let's say high, higher price point watches. So they're really kind of bifurcating, like we're not that thing. We're not a smart watch that can kind of, you know, ping your doctor if you're having a heart attack. We're something that's going to be around for a century or more that could be passed down through the generations that can be appreciated from the standpoint of the art and the science and the history that has gone into the creation of this handcrafted item. It's quite a different product. Um, you know, I, I think that's a trend for sure is the, is the growing appreciation of that as a 
distinct and different piece. And younger consumers have certainly uh, discovered that. And I think understood that, you know, for especially for men, you know, watch is something to be treasured. It's really maybe one of the only items of jewelry, if you will, that you might wear. Uh, it's something that can be passed down through the generations. It's something that can have a story behind it, you know, in, in the way that it helps you to celebrate a milestone, like a graduation or a first job or, you know, the birth of a child or something. I think these are things you probably wouldn't celebrate with, you know, a smartwatch, you know, you're not going to pass it down to your kids. You're not going to buy it to celebrate the birth of your kid. So it's, um, it's definitely, I think one of the trends is that kind of discovery and embracing by, by younger consumers, um, certainly like pop culture and, and celebrity yeah. culture has helped that as well. Because, you know, if you see Jay-Z at the basketball game wearing of a tech Philippe, you know, Tiffany dial, Tiffany stamped, like that's going to get attention. People are going to notice that. And that sort of helps to also build the, the hype and the appeal uh, as, as, you know, uniquely kind of celebrity culture can do. I'd say other trends, and this is more a bit of a style trend, you know, trends come and go in terms of style trends, you know, for a number of years, it was about having these big diameter watches, big chunky watches. Now, actually, interestingly, the trend is going completely in the opposite direction with consumers really looking for smaller diameters, more petite watches. And really recently, and this is interesting, and maybe an era where it's really all about diversity and inclusivity is uh, a, a real trend is, you know, men wearing women's watches, you know, wearing very petite 34, you know, millimeter diameter watches, maybe explicitly that were made for women, but wearing those watches as a, as a, as a timepiece, but also kind of as a style statement as well. And, you know, someone that comes to mind there, again, blending the worlds of watch style and culture and, and celebrity is Bad Bunny, you know, the, the musician and artist, he, he often is, is seen to be wearing like these very petite women's watches. And, you know, obviously that starts a bit of a trend with people who yeah. love his style. Yeah, and it's it's interesting going back to your first point about uh, kind of the sentiment sentimentality too. You know, if you the tradition of a of a nice timepiece, a nice watch that is handed down through families. To your point, that you know the Apple Watch certainly brought more attention to the category. I think which kind of rising tide lifts all boats. Probably some some totally. analogy there. Um, and there's certainly the practicality of the Apple Watch, but these kind of more unique and um you know traditional based timepieces there's there's that to, your, to what you were talking about that sentimentality that you know it's a gift from you know to you know back to the roots of of Hadinki, you know a watch that was passed down from to ben's grand from his grandfather correct oh yeah absolutely i think you know you can buy certain watches and if you own that watch you can really feel like you're the part of a tradition that in some cases dates back, you know, 300 years or more. And, and, you know, you're, you're, you're holding something that is um, emblematic of that tradition and craftsmanship and heritage. And uh, yeah, again, I think that's just a different, you know, different experience than if you were to buy a smartwatch for the purposes of measuring your steps or, you know, playing a sport or something. It was interesting. Just I'll, I'll paraphrase the the words of a, a, a long time, you know, a famous Swiss watch executive who, when the Apple Watch was kind of debuted, you know, he was highly critical of it and said that it was, you know, not something that would be, uh, you know, he, he just basically sort of looked down upon it. And then, you know, some seven, eight years later, looking back on his own comments, he revised his point of view and said, you know, uh, probably the Swiss watch industry should owe Apple a small royalty of every watch sold because it really did help a whole new uh, generation of consumers pay attention again to this little bit of real estate on your wrist that like wearing a watch as a habit, as a daily behavior is a, is a thing, you know, and, and in a day where we all are connected to our phones and we don't need a watch, like you have the time around you all the time, you don't really need it to tell time. 
his acknowledgement of, the, of its impact on people wearing watches again was kind of interesting. And, you know, once you've started to wear a watch on a daily basis, maybe you start with a smartwatch, you realize actually this is kind of nice. I like the, I like the, I like the, the ritual of putting on my watch every day. What, what, what can I look at that's maybe a slightly higher price point, a little bit nicer, a little bit more heft to it. And maybe you find your way into an Omega Speedmaster or Seamaster. Maybe you find your way into a Rolex uh, Daydate, you know? So it's, it's been interesting to kind of see its impact and, you know, kind of defy expectations versus what people once thought when it was the specter of the smartwatch to where it actually is today. I think honestly that, that, that trend will continue. Yeah, that's a great one. Um, in the time we have left, I have one last question for you, Jeff. Sure. And, um, I want to talk about leadership a little bit. So as CEO of the organization, one of the you know primary jobs of any leader is to kind of instill the culture that you want to build. And I think that, you know, it sounds like Ben had really laid a great foundation for that. Talk a little bit about as your vision as, as the leader at, at Hadinki, either the culture that you want to build. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're still, uh, although the business has grown a lot over the last few years, we're still a relatively small team. So one, I, I love the fact that I think everyone in our business can really get to know one another. And we really encourage that. I mean, we have, uh, we use OKRs to sort of track our progress and our, and our goals. And one of those is um, we have everyone signed up for this. Um, we use Slack internally as a communications device. Everyone signed up to this channel where uh, Slack will automatically pair you with someone else in the company at random and prompt you to schedule a coffee together. We actually track that so that we get people to ensure that they're making time out of their day to connect with a colleague who maybe they don't connect with as often, uh, have a coffee, can talk about work, can talk about family or life outside of work. But really, it's a, it's a, it's a chance to continue to just build relationships. I think you know where you have strong relationships, strong, healthy, robust relationships, you know, good results tend to follow. I think team teamwork is really key. I think we try to operate with a very high degree of just transparency and openness internally. We 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 have a, a high degree of trust with our team that they're they'll exercise good judgment. So an example there was yesterday we hosted a kind of a executive team ask me anything AMA hour and a half. We submitted, you know, we asked people to submit their questions in advance. We had questions ranging from, you know, what is the exit strategy of the business to, you know, questions about our current cash flow position to questions <laughs> about, you know, our strategic initiatives in the future. And we stood and answered every single one of those questions and took follow-up questions and things like that. Um, you know, I think you want to, I think other things are you want to hire, you want to aim to hire, you know, A plus talent. I think talented folks really want to work with other talented, committed, uh, you know, ambitious folks. So we're, we're always trying to develop our teams and hire, you know, to a su super high bar, hire experts. Um, you know, I think in my role as a CEO, really my role is to to kind of hire experts in each of the departments that that we need as leaders and really help them be the best version of themselves and, and in, in, the, in the process, develop myself as a leader and try and focus my time and attention on supporting them and then focusing on the things that uniquely I can do in my role. So you know, I think it's, it's a company that hopefully people want to work for and people who join us and, and are with us want to stay with we're really trying to be, you know, in our own way, emblematic of what a world-class company can be and should be, and uh, very, very much, you know, supportive and uh, of our team and their growth as as individuals and as professionals. Well, you know, one of the things that I enjoy about doing about this podcast is we get to hear from and learn about all these cool, unique, different types of brands, and uh, Hadinki uh, certainly fits into that category. I want to take the opportunity to thank its CEO Jeffrey Fowler 
for joining us today and, and tell us telling us uh, all about uh, the business as well as a little bit about the watch category for those that uh, didn't know uh, enough about it yet. So thanks for joining me today, Jeff. Thank you, Joe. Thanks so much to the listeners and thank you for the time. Really appreciate it and great to get to know you. Thanks for listening. For more information on this podcast, please check out our podcast channel page at mytotalretail.com slash podcasts for show notes. Total Retail Talks is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Make sure to subscribe on our podcast channel page as well. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a few moments to rate and review this podcast. Thanks, and until next time, this has been Total Retail Talks.